Thank you for downloading this message from Pastor Ryan today. We believe you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. Turn there as quickly as you can. How many of those circumstances in life will force you to, to action? Obviously, y'all want to get in the Word. Y'all stayed. I kind of thought you might. Judges chapter 3, stand for the reading of God's Word. You thought I forgot, I didn't. Judges chapter 3, please. Judges chapter 3. Oh, what a wonderful day it is. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that He might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formally known it. Verse 4. Verse 3 just talks about the, the nations that he left, the Philistines, the Canaanites, and that. Just talks about who he left in the land. Verse 4. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Lord, add your blessing to the word over the next few moments in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. All right, be seated in his presence. Thank you so much. Listen, I, I don't know, most of the time we don't spend a whole lot of time reading in the book of Judges. Uh, it's not one of those things that, that very often is entertaining to us. However, I spent a little time this week and I was reading some things and, and uh, it began to, to prompt and to spark some things in my spirit. And one of the things I ran across was I was reading about a, uh, a boxing match. How many ever watched boxing? I'm sure some of you have watched boxing. Uh, some of you may not have been allowed to watch boxing because it was too violent or something of that nature. But nonetheless, um, I, I ran across this story and it was very, very intriguing to me. Uh, it was a match, two boxers toe-to-toe battling in the ring and and one of the gentlemen one of the the men that was in the bout was just getting pummeled I mean he'd come back to the corner and his eye was swelling and his nose was bloodied and he was he was just taking a beating round after round after round and he just kept doing his best but every time he would come back into the corner his trainer would would put the stool out and the boxer would sit down and he'd give him some water and he'd look at him in the eye and he'd say you're doing great he said, boy, you're doing great. He's hardly hitting you. He'd send him back out in another round, and he was just getting beat on. And he'd come back into the corner, and he'd put the stool out, give him a shot of water, and, and you know, wipe his face and get the blood off. And he said, you're doing great. He's hardly hitting you. You're going to win this thing. After about five or six or seven rounds of this, finally the boxer looked at his, he came back to the corner, and he looked at his trainer, and he said, what are you talking about? You keep telling me I'm winning, and he's barely hitting me. He said, would you tell me who's killing me out there? Because it has to be the referee because you keep telling me my opponent's not winning. And, and I read that story and I thought, you know what? That's just like the church. Because no amount of smooth-talking philosophies from preachers can convince you that life doesn't hit. No matter how eloquent or articulate I might be this morning, there's no way that I can convince you that life doesn't have some battles in it. Am I right? 
that you're engaged in some real battles. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody feel like you've got a real opponent, some real struggles? You know, our world is truly a testament of, of the fact that there's a battleground out there. Look at the condition of our nation. Look at our homes, our fractured homes. Look at our children that are, that are struggling and dealing with, with the, the seductions of the world. Look at, look at the things that are going on. We realize the scars are evident that there's a real battle. But yet what we've got in the pulpit is this pampering. This secular, humanistic of, it's going to be okay. You're barely getting hit. I know your nose is bloody, and I know you're, you feel like you're getting beat, but you're still winning. But do you understand that over a course of time it's difficult for you to believe that everything's going well when you're continuing in combat and you're continually dealing with battles and and, and at some point in time you're like, you know what, I don't think I'm winning anymore. (laughs) I think there's sometimes in the church where, where we realize, you know what, I don't really feel like I'm all that victorious. I'm going to make a bold declaration. You are at war. You are at war. You're not going to avoid it. So like, well, I, I, I figure one of these rounds of my life is going to get easier. It doesn't. I'm sorry. There's, there's not bunkers or foxholes for you to hide in. Life is combative. How many know what I'm talking about? Life is full of, as we say, inhabitants of the land. But I've got to tell you, there's so much at stake, we've got to keep fighting. So I want to minister, if you'll give me just a few moments, to, to minister to you on the thought pattern of willing to war. Willing to war. Because if you're not willing to fight for something, you're not going to be able to apprehend all that is, is given to you or promised to you. In, in Judges 3... I found this so interesting, and, and you probably have not ever noticed it, but the Bible said that the Lord allowed or, or mandated that certain nations remained in the promised land. Now that within itself is somewhat ironic that God would allow certain nations to remain, but there was two reasons why he allowed them to remain. The first reason was, was there was a generation that had come out of captivity, out of slavery, that, that did not know how to fight. That third generation did not know how to war or fight. And he said, I've got to leave some inhabitants in the earth so that that generation that doesn't know what it's like to fight can learn to fight. The second thing that was obvious to me was he said, I've got to leave them there that they will make a choice to be loyal, obedient, and committed to me. So it came to me that apparently there are some giants and battles and conflicts in my life that God has ordained to stay in my life. Okay, y'all don't want to talk this morning, I can tell. Israel was God's children, chosen to inherit the promised land. Is that right? They were chosen, elected to inhabit the promised land. It was God's promised land. However, we noticed their 40-year journey was somewhat uh, 
filled with uh, uncertainties and difficulties and errors. And, and, and for 40 years they wander in a wilderness. Now they're in the promised land. But the Bible said that there are still nations there that the Lord left on purpose. And I thought, my Lord, why would you leave uh, uh, hindrances and battles in that land? Because a lot of us want a life without battles. Most of us want life without conflict. We don't want anything in our life to interrupt our flow. And most of us are committed to a path of ease and least resistance. Am I right about that? Because I look at it like this. There's four ways you look at battles. You maximize, minimize. When you maximize it, you make the battle bigger than what it is. If you minimize the battle, then what you're doing, you're underscoring it and saying, I shouldn't take it as significantly or as seriously as maybe I should. And then, then there's always those that advertise the battle so they can get sympathy, who like to talk about the battle but not confront those who are against them. And so they just talk about the problem. They never seek for a solution. And then there are those of us who will be in battle and analyze it. Now, in many cases, you would say analyzing the battle would probably be wrong. But I found some scripture to help you. Ecclesiastes, in the 7th chapter, the 14th verse says this. says that those who are in prosperity be joyful. Yet those who are in conflict or adversity should consider. So for those of you, when you find yourself in battle, who go analytical, trying to, to figure everything out, that's still okay. That ought to help somebody in this room. But your analyzing cannot be to paralysis. It has to be to education. For you to analyze what's going on in the battle is only for you to learn how to be victorious in it. Does that make sense to anybody? Because, see, in the essence of any battle, are you not tempted to withdraw? In any battle, are you not tempted to be timid or passive? Certainly. Do we have any warriors in the house? Do I have any warriors in the house? Now that sounds a little bit better. I'm going to try it one more time just because I'm a little insecure. Do you, do you believe that? Is there any warriors in this house? See, here's the thing you've got to understand about a warrior. A warrior can't maximize it, minimize it, or, or even talk about it. He's got to be able to come to the place where he understands what the Lord is trying to teach him in the battle. My responsibility this morning is nothing more than to help you become farther and, and more developed in your education or understanding of your battle. You're not immune from battles. You never outgrow your battles. And here's what you're not going to like. Some of them God allowed to remain. Israel is a type and a picture of the church. He allowed nations to remain in the promised land for two reasons, didn't he? One, to prove that they would trust the Lord, that they would obey his commandments that was, that was legislated and laid out by the hand of Moses, and number two, that there was a generation, a group of people that did not know how to fight. 
Is that not interesting to you that the Lord left nations in the land? That he promised for Israel. He loved Israel dearly, but he wasn't about ready to give them a free pass. I believe the Lord loves you. I believe he loves you so much he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. But I do know this much about the Lord. He's not going to remove all your battles. See, the Bible's real clear. What's Ephesians 6:12 say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul told Timothy in Timothy 6 and 12, he said, fight the good fight of faith. That says to me there's going to be some conflict. Is that right? Some warfare in your life. Is that right? What do you do when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, where the scriptures are real clear, says we can't war with carnal methods, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to what? To the pulling down of strongholds. Do you understand that God has designed you and equipped you for war? And the fact is the things that you and I are facing right now are going to do one of two things. They are going to help us remain committed loyal, devoted to the cause of Christ, or it's going to cause us to run in fear. I don't have time to run in fear when I've got another generation who's growing up who do not know how to war themselves. How are they going to learn to fight the fight of faith if you and I quit every time we got our back against the wall? I thought I heard somebody say preach, preacher, but I'm not sure. My favorite scripture here lately has been Psalm 144, verse 1. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord who has taught my hand to war and my fingers to fight. Oh, bless the Lord who has taught my hand to war and my fingers to fight. Do you understand every battle in your life is not for your demise or your destruction, but for you to develop the skill set of war? So that you know how to fight and pass it on to the next generation. So they know how to fight. So that next generation knows how to be loyal to the things of God. Parents. I said parents. You have a responsibility to teach your children how to fight. I'm not talking about on the schoolyard. I'm not talking about in the classroom. I'm talking about how to deal with powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness and temptations that come their way. We're living in a world of loose morality. Your children are going to grow up with homosexuality as it parades itself at the school prom. You better teach them that they're not dealing with flesh and blood, but they're dealing with principalities and powers. We're dealing in a world of, of lasciviousness, a world of deceit, a world of, of intoxicants and, and, and things that cover and mask the real thing that's going on in them. You've got a generation of medicated kids. You better teach them no weapon formed against them prosper. You better equip them for war because the war they face is not what grandma and grandpa faced. The problem in school used to be the fact they talked too much and chewed gum. That used to be the major problem in our educational system was the kids talked too much, a little too rambunctious, and chewed gum in school. 
Now they go back into their schools armed with M16s and, and come in with, with a battle plan to destroy their students around them. Why? Because there's a devil loose. There's a giant in the land. There's still a demonic force in the earth. That's why the Bible said in 1 Peter 5 and 8, Be sober, be vigilant, be diligent, pay attention, because there's a roaring lion seeking whom he may. Is there something worth fighting for? Someone say, well, Pastor, I want you to come down off this, this stuff that we're dealing with socially. Look, they told Martin Luther King that he didn't have the eloquence of Morehouse College to be a public speaker. He may not have been the most eloquent one in class, and he may not have been the most articulate, but he was definitely anointed. Do you understand something? I'm not here to be eloquent, and I'm not here to be articulate. I am, however, to be up under the banner and the glory of the sovereignty of God, to be an oracle in the midst of a world of chaos, and I'm not about ready to take a back seat. So if you're looking for me to not be politically correct, the war's on. If you're looking for me to be silent, can't do it, because there's a call in my spirit that says, raise the standard, raise it up, so that we know how to stand in a loyal Ah, loyal position before the Lord. I don't want anybody to be confused this morning. I'm talking about real battles. I'm not talking about you got a hangnail. I'm talking about fighting for your family, fighting for your marriage, fighting for your friends. Is there somebody that knows that there's just some stuff you're going to have to fight for? Your church is under attack. The church in general is under attack. <laughs> We're compromising left and right and giving up ground on every occasion. We don't even know what biblical absolutes are anymore in the church. We're not quite sure. We've become so, so passive and so anemic and so uh, uh, blasé in our approach to preaching the gospel. We, we've become pacifist. We've lost our prophetic edge. We've lost our unction. Dear God, not in this sacred desk. I'm not about ready to compromise biblical absolutes in order to reach the world so the world can find ease. I'm looking for warriors. I'm looking for soldiers of the Most High God. I'm looking for people who are enlisted in the body of Christ. And you know that you know that you know that you're going to stand in a world that has other enemies in it. In a world of disregarded doctrines and misunderstandings and this conformity that we have in the church, it just irritates me to no end. And I know you may not be interested in battling, but you're going to battle one of two ways. Either with the purpose to win or the hope of winning. I want to engage and win. I want to give you three things. I'm going to let you go. I'm not, I'm not preaching all this. If you want to hear the rest of it, maybe I'll preach it tonight. You're like, I'm not driving to Habersham. Well, get these three points and start working on them and we'll work on the rest. Because the Holy Spirit laid some things on my spirit because if we're not willing to be engaged in war, we'll never accomplish the promise. I feel like the Lord's left some things in our life and we don't understand why they're still there. And they're just some things you wished would have went away. They may not be the, the nation of the Philistines, but there are some things that remained that you hadn't figured out why they're still there. And you've been asking of the Lord, Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. 
And I hear the Lord saying to you, just like He said to Israel, until you learn to fight and pass that battle standard on to that next generation, you're going to deal with it. And until you're going to be loyal to me, oh Lord, carry the code, walk with integrity and obey the things of God, the mandates of God's Scripture, you're always going to deal with nations that are trying to defeat you. I know nobody likes to fight. The only people that like to fight is those that know how to win. Nobody likes to fight if you're getting beat. I don't mind, I don't mind a fight as long as I'm winning. Somebody said, well, I'm not sure I can win. He's equipped us for victory. I said he's equipped us for victory. <laughs> oh, glory. Uh, 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 uh. I said, well, I'm not sure I can win. Oh, yes, you can. Why? Because greater is he. First John 4, 4, greater is he who's in me than he who's of this world. If I'm going to be in a, a land of battles and conflicts and warfare, I might as well get ready. Sometimes we don't understand what the point is of battling, do we? What would be the point of me being in a battle? I kind of had these thoughts this week, and let me work them out. What if the Lord wants the glory? Did you hear me? I said, what if the Lord wants the glory? What if the Lord wants the glory? What if the Lord wants the glory? See, I found this out about God. He's real jealous. And, and, and there's no way he wants me to think I'm doing this on my own. So I've kind of come to this realization that some of my battles in life are, are for nothing more than to give him glory. See, I spent a little bit of time reading in the Word, and I found out that when he raised up Gideon and called Gideon to be a mighty man of valor, he, 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 he ordained Gideon to be that soldier, that leader, and, and to go into battle. And he had 30,000 men. And God says, cut them back. He went from 30,000 to 300 how many know that's a decrease that you don't want in the church? How many know if we go from 30,000 to 300, somebody's going to say there's something wrong in leadership? But in Judges 7, the Bible said, God said, I've got to cut them back. Why? Because if I can cut them back, then they'll know I'm the one that gave them the victory. And they didn't do it by their own merit or their own deeds. Could you believe that some of the battles you're in are nothing more than to bring glory to God? They're not for your demise. They're not for your defeat. They're for your testimony. Listen, fight, fight, fight to win, but know that the battles are for the glory of God. How can God get glory? By you not surrendering. By your children learning how to fight. By your children learn how to stand and be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of God. How are they going to know if you don't model it, Mom? How are they going to know it if you don't model it, Dad? How are they going to know it unless the church models it? Be steadfast, unmovable. Why? Because God wants to get the glory out of the battle. Second thing, real quickly, is that it requires trust and develops trust. Battles make you trust. I don't like battles any more than you do. I don't like warfare any better than you do. But I found out this. 
It'll galvanize your trust in God. Especially when you come out. Anybody been through some stuff you didn't think you were coming out of? Come on, come on, come on. I mean, you've been through some stuff. And like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but you kept holding on to the sovereignty of God, trusting God, and he brings you out the back door. When you get out the back door, how many know you're stronger? Why? Because he taught your hands to war and your fingers to fight, and he gave you the tools to get you through. And when you get to the other side, you're stronger in your trust with God. Somebody looking at you right now going, I don't know how you came through it. And they want what you got, but they haven't been through the hell you've been through to get what you got. They're going to have to walk through their own battles. But people over the years say, Pastor, I want your anointing. Can't have it. It's mine. So I want what you got. You ain't done what I did. Well, I'll just pick up, I'll just pick up what you got. You haven't earned it. Battles. Battles produce real warriors who trust God regardless of circumstantial evidence. I want you to be a fighter that's galvanized in trusting the sovereignty of God. Daniel 11.32 said that those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. I want to be that generation that not only knows my God and trusts my God, but I want to be made strong by my God so that I can do exploits for His kingdom. Are you right about that? Is that all right? Third key i got to give you. I'm going to let you go. I may preach some more this next week. I don't know. You've got to fight where you are and fight with what you got. I mean, I'm going to go Jackie Chan on all of you. Huh? <laughs> what did God say to Moses? Y'all got tickled by that. I see. God says to Moses, what do you got in your hand? Hey, David, what do you got to deal with Goliath? You got to use what you got where you are. Touch your neighbor and say, use what you got and use it where you are. Ah, come on, somebody get that with me real quickly. Because, see, when he says to, to Moses, what's in your hand? Moses says, staff. He said, use that. Widow woman, what do you have to offer me? Well, I don't have anything but a little bit of oil. Good. How many know with God that's enough? Hallelujah. Listen, I don't need to borrow somebody else's artillery. I've got my own. I can't wish I was in somebody else's condition. I am where I am, so I fight where I am. Glory to God. What did Jesus do with a little boy that had a lunch? Looked like it wasn't enough. Huh? Looked like it wasn't enough. Looked like it was insignificant. Looked like it was insufficient. But when the Lord puts his hand on a boy's lunch, he can feed 5,000 plus boys and girls. Why? Because he can help you where you are and with what you've got. Now here's the problem. You don't realize what you've got in your hand. What do I have in my hand? I have a covenant with my God who said I can use his name in proxy authority. That means I can use the name of Jesus Christ against every adversary power or principality that presents itself against me. And I can use the bloodstained banner and I can apply it over my house. I can apply it to my marriage. I can apply it all around my house and my life. Why? Because that blood is a line of demarcation that says adversary you can't cross over here for this is where the covenant lies. 
you got to use what you got and use it where you are. And if you don't stand up where you are and use what you've got, your enemy will take everything out of your house. I'm not classified, qualified, you say. If you've acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior and Redeemer of your soul, you have everything you need to stand in victory right where you are. Romans 8, 32 through 35 Talking about who shall separate me from the love of God. The word said, I am more than an overcomer. Why? Because of who I'm in covenant with. Because of who Jesus is in me. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to have a will to war or you're going to... We hope you enjoyed the message today. Please visit www.fivestoneschurch.info for more messages and media resources.